Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Inside Groove Supermodified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker. This is episode 135, and it is a special episode for one specific reason, because this will be the end of what's in the number. It's our final segment. We're down to the last number we haven't done yet, 35, so we'll get to that later. Um, it's also special because it's international. And it's international because we've got Camden Proud joining us right off the top here. And Camden is coming to us live from Norway. Um, so we'll see how this works out here, if the miracles of modern technology allow us to pull this off. Um, but uh, Camden, good to have you back on the show. Glad that you made it over there safely. And uh, how are things going over there so far? Uh, things are very, very, very rainy over here. We had one night's day on Halloween, but it's been pretty lousy weather, and I've been staying inside and catching up on all the racing stuff, getting the schedule sorted out for this coming season. Okay, so uh, let's get right to the schedule, Cam. Um and let's talk first about the schedule for Oswego. I went over it last week, but um curious about some things that I'm not sure if they're missing or just weren't on there. The first one, and I've had a couple of other people ask me about this, um, is there still a retro night planned for 2024, or has that been taken off the schedule? Well, Matt, and... This weekend, he's going to sort out the autograph nights and the fireworks, and then we know that retro night is going to be August 3rd again. So for the second round of Twin 40s, we'll have retro night and the old-timers reunion. Ah, perfect. Okay, so August 3rd, which is where I suspected it may be. I just uh, thought maybe you ran out of room on the graphic to put it in there, but that's um, that's good stuff. Um, other than that, the schedule looks very similar to – this year's schedule, the only the major difference seems to be that the 350 Supers are on every race weekend, basically, that the big blocks are, which I think is a great change. Um, and then also we've got, instead of three top wing and two tail wing races, the Challenge Series is three, um, three tail wing and two top wing because uh, we put in the 10,000 to win, which I think is... That's that's a very interesting move. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that, and I think the idea of alternating three top lane and three tail lane races each year is going to be something that's pretty appealing to teams on both sides. And um, also love to see the, like you said, 350s and SBS paired, especially the 350s with every single weekend that we're running. Um, the schedule might look a little bit short with only a couple of races in July, but we're also continuing to work with ISMA and MSS and making sure that no one's stepping on the other's toes. So it's looking like another good season here for us. Uh, like you said, very similar 
11 race weekends total, and then 10 championship events for each of the three classes. And Classic Weekend basically looking also very similar to uh, what we had this year. And so all in all, I like the schedule, and, you know, it's tough. Everybody wants more races, but again, you know, you've got other considerations at this point, and, you know, also it's just, it's, um, I think we're kind of at a point where, you know, 10 to 12 races is really, especially for the big blocks, that's kind of where it's at in terms of budget and whatever. And so all of the races I feel like are um, are very meaningful at Oswego. And a pair of twin 40s, which I like, um, you've got all of the big shows coming back. Retro Night is back. So um, I like the, the, the Oswego schedule. Um you know, pretty excited about uh, what I see. Yeah, me too. And it, it is kind of like we've talked about the last couple of years where every weekend is a big show and it's a short point season. So you have to really fight hard for positions starting right with the first race on May 25th. And uh, it makes for a very intense points battle uh, throughout the duration of the season. The Twin 40s really shake things up as well with both of those shows being full points. For sure, yeah. Um, like I said, looks good. Now, on the ISMA side, uh, just about the same number of races, and I was kind of intrigued that we're starting right off in May with a TBD or TBA, however you want to label that. Um, and, you know, the talk seems to be that it's either Jennerstown or maybe a, a Lancaster show on the 11th or the 18th. What have you been hearing? Uh, what can you tell us about what it looks like that race weekend may be. I've heard that, too, that maybe it's Jennerstown again, which would be great, or also something local, perhaps Lancaster. Um, either way, that's a good way to start the season. Um, just reading the comments on the ISMA page, I know that a couple of people were disappointed with the length of the schedule, but there again, I think you hit it right on the head, 10 to 12 races is kind of that sweet spot right now. And um, what ISMA's done, I think, is, is really nice and convenient for the teams where you have race weekends that have two or three features even, three at Lorraine, uh, two at Berlin in July, two at Sandusky in July, and then also two races at Evans Mills Friday the 13th of September and Saturday the 14th for the 100-lap Classic. So um, I think they're doing a really nice job putting all this together. And, again, happy that Oswego can be a part of it for two weekends in June. And you incorporate the challenge into all of that. And, and this is still a very exciting schedule for the top point super modified teams. Yeah, I agree 100%. And having the Mr. Super Modified as part of that challenge series, I think, makes the challenge series even a little bit uh, more interesting for this coming year. And so back to the ISBA schedule, though, um, I love the multi-feature weekends. Uh, I know there was some conversation about the weekend at Evans Mills and, of course, the Star Classic coming back and it's NESS and, you know, could we do something to, to get, get them, uh, get those two races split up or would we run a Friday, Saturday double header? I mean, there was all that conversation and, and it looks like now it's basically all moot because NESS has pretty much said, well, um, you know, we're, we're going to do our thing. We're keeping the wing rule the same. So at, at this point, none of the rest of it much matters. Right, I agree. I think they've obsoleted having some of those ISMA cars that may have come out for that show 
yeah. um, from doing so with this wing rule. Um, I don't I don't really understand it uh, completely. I do understand what Tom Mayberry is trying to do and, and staying loyal to the teams that have supported him. So that to me makes sense, but uh, not opening up this wing rule does not make a lot of sense to me. I think that um, if Evans Mills and, and Starr and NESS could work together in the future and move these races to a, a different weekend first and foremost so we don't even have to have this conversation, which is just silly to begin with in my opinion, um, that, that you would have if they open up the wing rule, your, your Mike Ordways and your Kyle Edwards and, and Rich Reed and, and guys that don't have the wing that they're mandating come and race the Star Classic. People want to run the Star Classic, and fans want to be at the Evans Mills Classic, and they want to be at the Star Classic. So um, it's really disappointing um, just all around the whole deal, um, and I hate that those two great events are competing with each other. Um, I'm not pointing any any fingers at all. I don't think it's any one uh, sanction or person, individual's fault, but just as a shame that it's worked out that way. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, you know, I've had plenty of discussion about it uh, over the last two, three shows. I don't want to belabor it here. They've made their decision. Um, I don't get it. It, it. You know, the idea that it could be a competitive disadvantage, especially at a, at a track as small as Star, seems a little bit um, far-fetched. But, but, you know, that's how they feel. So um, that'll be what it is. Hopefully still a, a strong car count at uh, Evans Mills for that event, and you know, Star will get however many NESS cars are 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 ready to to go rock and roll there. And I hope both shows do well. That's really about all I can say about that here. And um, you know, I I I don't know where else to go with that. But uh, certainly the the ISMA schedule as a whole looks looks like it's a good one. And again, all of those races, I love that we've got. Um, some history behind a lot of these ISMA races going now. You've got, and I love the names, the Great Lakes Classic, for example. The, you know, the, um, the Lorraine race is a nationals event. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, you've got each, almost every one of those ISMA shows is a major, if you want to call it that, a big race. And even the Oswego shows, which would be concerned, I guess, one day regular ISMA shows are part of the Challenge Series, which makes those big shows as well. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. This is a, a stacked schedule in, in terms of the prestige of these events. And I noticed last year the, the Super Crown Nationals and the Great Lakes Classic, just giving those events kind of their own identity and yeah. makes you want to go out and, and support them as, as a team. That's, that's very cool what they're doing. And, and again, I can't say enough about Lorraine, three races, Berlin, two races. That makes the toe worthwhile for teams sure. that are coming from further away. Yeah, I agree, 100%. Love it. And so now looking ahead to 24, um, what's new? What are you hearing on the newswire? Anybody, any early line on, you know, comers, goers, that kind of thing that we can uh, we can put out there? I think it's a little, little early yet kind of been putting some feelers out with with teams in each division at a swig go. I'm not too much. I know there's a couple cars. Richardson sold his SBS over to Haynes Racing, so um, Brad Haynes picked up another car. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know what he's going to do with the four cars he's got, but he's a really hard working <laughs> guy, and um, I know that he's planning on getting 
<laughs> his kids in, into one of them here uh, shortly, sooner than later, I think. And um, I know he'll continue racing as well. So um, that's something I know took place. Uh, also, Jordan Sullivan's car was sold uh, and purchased by Matt Magner. So Matt will be back in the SBS class, I'm assuming, full time in 2024. Wow. Okay, it's been a little while since Matt raced full time, so that's a good addition. And um, you know the the Haynes gang, I suspect. Um, you know they've they've got uh, they're they're working on a quarter of the field basically. If they bring them all out at the same time, maybe you can throw Mike Conte. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> so um, yeah, that's that's great. Uh, it's great to see the um, great to see some guys coming back. And, you know, I don't know of anybody right offhand that I've heard about that's going away specifically. Um, I mean, I know there's been a lot of conversation about what Joe Gozik's plans are, and hopefully um, we'll have Joe on the show here in the next couple of weeks to um, to update us and to talk more about um, his background. We got part one done a while ago. It's been about two years. And then finally at Classic, I caught up with him to uh, to try to pin him down to, to give us part two here, the post Indy 500s piece of his career uh, and get us to current. And so we're working on, he's been working a ton of overtime. So Working on that, we've got a bunch of other guests, but so far, I mean, there's been a lot of enthusiasm for what I can see, and I'm hoping that with the addition of the extra 350 Super Shows, Cam, I'm hoping we can get a few more of the 350s in the field. Oh, yeah, I'm hoping so, and um, I think that we talked about maybe losing some guys, which you might see as losing a couple of the SBS guys that are actually moving up to the 350 class, like Tony DeStevens. I know Griffin Miller's looking that way. His car's for sale. Uh, and then also you'll have Noah Radcliffe. I think he's kind of on the fence if he's going to do sort of what he did last season, run the SBS full-time and mix in some 350 stuff. I think we'll have to wait and see a little bit on that. But the 350 class, uh, I, I think, is going to be in a decent place uh, moving forward, probably better than it was last year. And at the tease, uh, soon we'll have a little bit of news out um, between uh, the Oswego and Star Speedways. We're working on something fun for 2024 um, that – I think is going to make it pretty enticing for some star speedway guys to come out West and a swiggle guys to head East. So we'll see how that all develops in the next week or so, but look for an announcement on that soon. Oh, I like that. I love the sound of that. That's uh, again, um, Daryl Waltrip would call that coopetition. And that's what we've been seeing in, in, in the big blocks over the last couple of years. ISMA, MSS, a little coopetition there and, and the Swigo in the mix. And now if we can get a Swigo and Star to, to do a little bit of, uh, uh, back and forth stuff with the 350 class so that we can get cars going in both directions, that would be really, really fun. Um, and hopefully, and like you said, entice cars to travel a little bit. Um, that may be the shot in the arm that that 350 class needs, and I think it would be great to to see those two groups working even more closely together. Um, I know that the proposed uh, Speed Weeks 350 show is off, which is almost too bad. Would have liked to have seen um, something like with that, and I think I I would love to see maybe somebody um, be able to figure out a formula to do that for 25 
because uh, I think the 350 class is the perfect super modified division to travel in. The purses don't have to be mammoth, and um, they're still super modified. Nobody in Florida really knows the difference. So um, I think they put on a great show as part of Speed Weeks, and we're one of the only major divisions that is not represented down there. Right, that's true. And, and they used to be back in the 90s at Palusha with, with Isma running down there. I would kind of be cool to see the super modified world tip its toes back into that. But obviously it's it's not an easy task to, no. to get teams to tow down that far. You have to have, regardless, the tow money and, and a decent purse either way, whether it's big block or small block. So um, I've heard talk of that for the past couple of years now. And I hope, you know, in the near future it's something that can come to fruition. And, um, yeah, very excited about what's in the works for the 350 class uh, in 2024. It's such a great division. And, um, just like to see it grow a little quicker locally. Um, we, we've kind of relied on some of the New England support here and there, but um, I think we are in a decent place going into this coming season where we're having more of the local guys kind of grow an interest in moving up to the class. And um, I just hope that we can continue to have your Griffin Millers and Noah Ratcliffe's and Tony DeStevens continue to just walk up the ladder from the SBS to the 350s and hopefully eventually a big block super. Yeah, that's, that's really the um, the key is to be able to somehow make the transition easier from the 350 to the big block. I don't know how you do that, and not sure we're close to that. But um, you know, and then just try right. to get more people into the SBS class too. I, I think trying to figure out how to grow that even a little bit more. So when you do have those two or three a year that move up. You know, you're not, um, you're still, uh, with a healthy field of the SBS cars. So hopefully everybody that's moving up this year sells their SBS if they're not going to still run that part time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the step ladder I think is very important now. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think more important than ever right now with, with the cost of everything and kind of just trying to bridge that gap between your entry level division, the SBS and obviously your premier division in the supers. But, they're all expensive now. We're paying $700 for four tires to go run our SBS. So it's, uh, it's insane right now, but I uh, just grateful for what we have still as always. And uh, the teams that continue to come back every week and support the speedway in all three classes. For sure. A hundred percent. Well, um, look forward to uh, keeping up with what's going on. We'll try to do this. Uh, a couple more times as news warrants uh, while you're still over there in Norway and, um, you know, and have these conversations. Um, look forward to 24, obviously. It's hard to believe it's already November. It's crazy how fast this year has gone. Um, but uh, we appreciate you taking some time to, to chat with us. Any last minute, anything that we missed that we need to know about? I uh, just mentioned the Challenge Series quick, um, where Corpac and TJ Toyota have come back on board once again to boost the Champagne race to, to 4,000 to win and 1,200 nice. to start. That's huge. Uh, and then same thing, all the sponsors have, have come together to again make the two top point shows 6,000 to win and 1,200 to start there. And I'm sure we'll have more news on the classic soon. Um, gonna be lots of good social content moving out. We'll have registration starting probably in a month or so. Uh, and then also I, like to kind of feature every commitment we get to running all five of the challenge races. It's, you don't register for it. That's not really a official entry, but 
I know that Johnny's going to be going to the teams for sort of a verbal commitment. And once we get those from guys, we'll communicate that out on the social media channels so fans can keep track of who's in for, for all five of those challenge races. So um, I hope the off season flies by and can't wait to get back to it in May. For sure. Well, uh, certainly wish you the best over there, Cam, and be safe and uh, enjoy yourself. And we look forward to bringing you back again soon here on The Groove. Like I said, as news warrants, uh, just let us know, and we'll make sure that we we get you back on to talk about it. That is Camden Proud. We'll be back with more of The Groove right after this. Experience the age-old Irish hospitality at LaGroff's Pub and Grill, Oswego's premier local spot to grab a cold one and cheer on your favorite sports teams. Stop in for an ice-cold beer alongside some exceptional pub fare. Burgers, wings, chicken sandwiches, Philly cheesesteaks, soups, and more. You want it, they've got it, served up with more than 40 years of awesome customer service. Have a friendly game of darts against players from across the world. That's right, players from across the world. Where else in Oswego can you go to play darts against somebody from across the world? That's crazy. Watch the games on their eight big screen TVs or just relax at Oswego's Neighborhood Bar and Grill. The Groff's Pub, 187 East 10th Street in Oswego. Check them out on LaGroff's.com. Okay, it is special guest time again. Uh, we had Camden Proud on from, all the way from Norway, and now we're going to hear from uh, Jeffrey Battle. And Jeffrey, uh, we boy, we've been trying to do this for a while, you and I, but uh, you had a busy uh, end of summer racing schedule and all of that. So good to finally have you back on the program. And I guess we can start with a hearty congratulations on your fourth classic win in six classics that's pretty good two-thirds yeah thank you very much there uh, thanks for having me well it's uh it's it's great to have you back we always enjoy having you on uh we gotta get brother ryan on here soon too because uh, he hasn't been on with this yet so um let's talk classic first i mean um that was a race where it in the beginning of the race, if somebody had said Jeffrey Battle was going to win this race, I would have said, nah, I don't think today's his day. But, um, you know, you, you had some sort of a, a line to your brother, and uh, <laughs> it, Ryan spins out, you go to the pits, and all of a sudden you come out and uh, go from Clark Kent to Superman. Yeah, I I knew during the day uh, of the race that we were – um, not having much practice time Friday was going to be a little bit against us with the weather conditions. Um, cause the only times we've ran out there this year, we've raced during the night, I believe. So racing during the night versus the day is obviously a lot different. And where we broke a torsion bar arm on Friday of practice, that obviously, um, limited, limited to, to how much practice we were, we had. Yeah. And so going into Sunday, um, we had a pretty good car in qualifying. Obviously, Sokolik was a little bit quicker, so we qualified second. And come race time, I knew in the first handful of laps that we had a, a decent car, but we didn't have a car good enough to win. And I think we had a caution or two maybe before my brother 
spun out. Yeah. And I was contemplating on pitting then, but I, I didn't have my, my gut was telling me otherwise. And when that caution came out, when he spun, my gut told me that if we want to win this thing, we really got to make a swing at it and pull in the pits and, and hopefully we can come from the back and, and um, have some success from that. And it all happened to work out. We pitted, made a couple of minor adjustments that were just enough to have us have a better car than what we had during the day. And it happened to work out for us. Well, it sure did. Uh, But, boy, there were a few guys, Jim Storis especially, I was so impressed with how he – how he ran in that race, um, he really gave you a run for your money, and it took you a while to finally get by him. Yeah, he. I got to be honest with you. Um, I've known Jim for a while now, and to, to be a hundred percent honest with you, it really killed me inside to even be able to to pass him and, and to actually pass him. I really wanted to see him pull away and just win it. I, he has. He had a lot more, and he probably still does. He had a lot more on his plate than me in life going on at the time. Yeah. And I know how much it would have meant a lot to him to, to get that win, but, but as a racer, when you're in that position, it's tough just to to settle for second. And I honestly don't think I would have gotten by Jim if it wasn't for that dirty air. I think he had a really good car in the clean air, and I was doing everything I could to catch him and, and then some, and... I honestly, I couldn't even really get to his bumper in clean air. And right when we hit that dirty air, I, I had a lucky moment and uh, was able to sneak on by him. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, it's tough, too, because I, I understand what you just said. And, and, and you know, I don't think Jim would have wanted that, right? I think he would have wanted to know he beat you because you couldn't pass him, not because yeah. you, know, you didn't pass him, chose not to. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, there's no question. And it was so great to see him run so well there. And, and um, yeah, I mean, it was that was a, it was a good field of cars. And, and coming from the back, I was a little concerned you were going to, you know, basically burn the tires off the car and not going to have anything uh, when you got there, and um, I wonder how much how much of a factor did that play? I mean, because it, it, it did seem like you got to second, and then kind of, I mean, there were times that it felt like you, it looked like you maybe had a push a little bit, or maybe you were just, you know, overdriving a corner or two here or there trying to catch him, but, like, once you, once you got him, you kind of drove away. Yeah, um, during the race, even after our pit stop, I mean, don't get me wrong, the car was better, but it definitely still was not um, 10 out of 10 from where we've had it in the past. Yeah. And I, I got to be honest with you, I was doing everything I could, even before the pit stop and after the pit stop, to, to capitalize on what the car was doing. And in running against Jim, um, he's he is a very tough competitor, and he has a lot of laps around a lot of different tracks, even in a super. Um, outside of super, he has a lot of laps around um, any racetrack. So his his experience is second to none. And I knew it wasn't going to be a tough battle getting by him. And I, I think it showed in that when it was a race against me, just me versus him, how he really he had the car to beat. He was the guy to beat. And I just was able to get a lucky moment when we hit that dirty air. Um, but I, I really personally feel like Jim, he progressed a lot on his 
package the last couple of years and it's really started to show and honestly he don't he, he don't run out there run, run he does not run a Swigo as much as I'm fortunate enough to do right um, this this past year we only ran a handful of times compared to the years past where we were able to make it out there a couple more times um, but even at the only couple of times we made it out there this year it was still more than what he was able to make it out so for him to come on out and do what he did, that was very impressive, and I, I think everybody there was um, was definitely in, in shock of how well he ran, especially with how much how much how many times he runs out there, which is not often. So even even for myself, who who has a lot of laps around there in the years past, it doesn't really matter how many how many laps you got around there or how much experience you got when you show up midsummer, um, like Jim was doing, or even the end of summer, like he did against all these guys who have been chasing the track all summer, you, you really got to have an all-around better package just to show up and do what he did. And, and he shows that he, he did show that he has what it takes to, to run up front, and, and uh, he's also, he also had the car to do it. Um, but I, I really thought Jim did an awesome job in that race, and um, I'm very happy to race with him. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to watch, and I'll tell you, I'm very impressed with Ryan too. Ryan is really developing um, to me as a driver, and again, him coming to Oswego, um, you know, it feels like he gets a little better every time he shows up. It's how what is it like for you to be racing with him in the same race alongside him? Obviously, we had the little. You know the situation there in classic, which obviously was not planned. Um, we uh, we we kid, but it you know you couldn't have known, and he certainly didn't know you were. Um, but it's it's um, what's it like to race with Ryan? Yeah, it's definitely pretty special. Um, to be honest with you, I I'm pretty uh, I'm very fortunate with what I have going on with my uncle Rich, but. The whole reason that me and my Uncle Richard's deal was sparked is mostly because me and my grandfather never uh, were never able to really make a make a deal happen. And I, my heart and soul, growing up as a kid, my dream was to always drive for my grandfather. Okay. And and I honestly, I never worked on the cars to hopefully have a better future down the road. I worked on the cars for the, for the love of the sport that I had towards it. Um, all my all my hours and dedication that I spent over the, the years growing up, I did it because I truly loved it. I never did it to hopefully get something out of return from it. And finally, when I became a little bit older, um, Without saying saying names, I saw some a couple different guys drive for my grandfather, and honestly, they were I could just see that they were very underappreciated. Is a underappreciative is a good way to say that how they took the ride. And me looking on from the outside in, I, I would have been very fortunate just to have a ride. Doesn't matter if it's a good ride or a bad ride, just right. to get just to have the opportunity out there competing was, was worth something to me. And when I kind of saw it get to that point with his other drivers, um, I started having the confidence in myself saying to myself that, Hey, you know, these other guys can do it. And honestly, I think I can do it with a better attitude. So if I can go in with a better attitude, if I suck and I don't do good, just back out of it. 
it, it, it is what it is. Right. But I, th- I think it all starts off with, with that good with that good attitude. And if you have a good attitude approaching it um, and you just don't give up, your, your effort will hopefully show. And that kind of all gave me confidence as the years went on. And it came to the point where, like I said, I could see other guys kind of starting to suck the fun out of it for my grandfather. So I, I asked him, I said, hey, why don't we give – why don't, why don't I get a shot at this and we don't have to buy tires and fuel. We don't have to buy anything outside. Then what we need to run the car, we'll just run run fuel. We won't even buy tires. We'll just go out and have fun. And, and uh, long story short, the deal never came about for me. And my uncle, he saw my commitment to wanting to race. And um, I ended up renting a ride from my uncle James – no, I'm sorry, my cousin James Whitcomb. And when I did that, and I was starting to do that a lot more on my own, I, I borrowed a trailer. I had I was using um, a truck. I was really start. I was really trying trying to do everything I could on my own. And <clears throat> I I really believe that's what sparked me and my uncle's deal, is him him seeing that starting something like this with me would not just be him by himself. It would be something for me and him to do together right. and I obviously had a good outlook on the whole deal I, I'm very appreciative for everything I, I really respect about where everybody comes from and, and how much effort and time they put into their anything in life um, especially when it comes to comes to racing if they're doing it for me um, I don't take anything for granted and me and my uncle we started a, a racing deal together and a couple of years went on and my, my brother, he got the opportunity for my grandfather, and I honestly, don't get me wrong, I was very, very happy for him, but um, I still let that sit in the back of my mind about how uh, how it, maybe I would have been able to get that opportunity just because I, growing up as a kid, I was side by side with my grandfather, and there was nothing more I wanted in life at the time than to get a opportunity to race with him and for him and maybe one day even get a win with them. Um, so I, uh, it's very bittersweet for me. At the same time, I'm a little jealous just because of how it all, all came about. But um, that's that's life, and that's how it goes. And I think there's a thousand or a million and one kids that would be in, love to be in my position. And I, I, I won't take anything for granted, and I'll, I'll always appreciate everything. Um, but at the same time, I understand that nothing's given to you and everything you got to work for it. So um, I think that'll, if you go in with that mindset with anything in life, that you're not afraid to work for it, it'll get you a long ways. Well, that's a very honest answer, and, and we appreciate that. And, and um, you know, it's it if, from the standpoint of those of us who are fans and who are uh, who know you, and, and I got to meet Ryan a few classics back when I was up there, um, he was in the grandstand, I think, with your mom, and, and I got to, to meet him. Just super nice people, and, and you you guys are all um, first class, humble people, and so it's great to to be able to you know to see him out there. And um, you know, God's plan sometimes isn't our plan, right? That's kind of how that yeah. that <clears throat> works. And so, but you've had great success, and I was actually. Um, surprised when I got to Classic this year, I saw some folks uh, with battle t-shirts, and I look, and there's a modified on the shirt. And I'm like, wait a minute. 
Jeffrey runs a modified? When did this happen? So I want to know, what was the genesis of that? Who are you driving for? How's that going? Where are you race? Tell us all about that. Yeah, we're running. I'm running the modified for uh, Bobby Weber there, and oh, uh, we, okay. We, yeah, we ran a handful of shows um, this past summer with a crate car and an open open modified, and um, we had some success in the crate car. We won a race up at Hudson, and oh, nice. Um, had a top five recently at Lee after starting down back. Um, I think we ended up with a, a third also on point and. Um, obviously struggled a couple times with a crate car, and then this new new tour car is obviously a big learning curve for me. Running with the competition that it comes with, oh yeah, um, it's it's been a it's been a big learning curve to say the least. Um, but at the same time, like I was saying with the super, you can't be afraid to put the work in, and I think me not being afraid to put the work in and having me learn everything I, I can is only going to help me with sure. this deal. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a good, been, been a good summer so far, I guess. Um, I had some ups and downs with the, with the modified, but at the same time, it's, it's very tough competition. I mean, we, we ran down at Stafford, uh, last weekend or two weeks ago and from first to 38th place in time trials, was seven tenths of a second. Wow! And when you look at like what we're doing in the 350 class, oh, sure. um, five tenths or even seven tenths of a second—that's almost just half. That's that's almost like a dozen cars or 13, 14 cars out of 20. No um, doubt. So when when you get 38 cars within seven tenths of a second, and there's 40 something trying to make the race. Obviously, you're really going to be on your ball and execute everything that's in front of you. And in me going down to some of these races, like we went to at Stafford, where I didn't have any laps around the track, I'm still learning the car. Um, I, I was kind of like a fish out of water in a way I felt like, but um, we unfortunately we we missed the qualifying spot by one one position, which which really stung. Um, but but at the same time, you look at a lot of the guys that didn't make the race, and some of them were past past champions and yeah. have a lot more experience than me. So, as much as it was upsetting for me, you got to look at the big picture and, and who who you were competing against, and um, they're all in the same same playing field as you. So, you just gotta gotta get better and uh, learn from what where you struggled. So you've driven a number of different types of cars. You've driven the 350 Supers. You've driven a big block Super a few times. You've driven now the Modifieds. Um, what do you enjoy the most? Or do you enjoy them all? And what, what does it take to run the Modified versus the Supers? Um, to be honest with you, I as far as enjoying driving-wise, <clears throat> I, I love the Supers. I love... Um, how aggressive you have to drive them with the finesse that's needed. Um, but at the same time, I, I love the strategy that's involved with the modifieds. Okay. And I, I feel like the big blocks was a lot similar for me when I was able to run a big block just because of those longer races. You have to discipline yourself to not burn the tires off of it. 
as good as the car may be early on, you got to tell yourself to don't push it too hard to save some for the end. So as far as a 350 Super goes towards the modified, there's obviously not much saving going on. Right. Unless when you're running like the classic race out in Oswego um, or these longer races, which we don't really have too many, but the modifieds and the big blocks, obviously those longer races, um, you got to have a little bit more strategy involved. Um, so I like that aspect of it. It's it's obviously a totally different driving wise compared to the the modified where you have no top wing. Um, the the supers are 65% left side weight and the modifieds are you know 56% I believe the rule right. is. So they don't they don't turn as well. They don't really handle as well. Um, they obviously got a lot of power. Not not as much as a big block, but without that top wing, you can really feel the power going into the corners sure. when it comes time to slow it down. You gotta you gotta make sure you're right on and slowing it down yourself compared to relying on that top wing to to help help yourself getting into the corner. Um, so it definitely took some adapting to the beginning of this year, but I feel like as far as taking my habits from the super and not letting them transfer over the modified, I feel like that's kind of all came to an end now. Um, I was I would say I was probably not not struggling, but learning that at the beginning of the year, where now I feel like I've learned what not to do and to do um, as far as super to modified. Um, but overall, it's it's been a really good learning experience for the, for the modified, but it's definitely a different can of worms playing with the competition. For sure. Yeah, I would imagine, because um, the modifieds, yeah, and it doesn't matter up there in New England if it's an SK mod or an SK light or a, a big block mod, um, the uh, tour mod. Uh, the competition in all of those divisions in New England is so fierce. It 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 just I um, if if I didn't hate snow so much, I would probably want to live in New England because <laughs> I just yeah. love all of that. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely some tough divisions or, or stout competition when it yeah. comes to the modifieds around here. I mean, you look at the tracks that they run weekly with with Stafford and and uh, even all these tours like the MRS and the Monaco Tri Track and um, all the open shows that yeah. Stafford has the offer and Thompson. Um, you get a wide var- variety of drivers and, and teams that all come together for some of these bigger races and. And um, it shows where the tough competition is at based off of the lap times. Like I said, seven-tenths of a second between 38 cars. That's pretty that's tough. Insane. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> it's just crazy. Okay, yeah. so let's talk about <clears throat> the 350s for a bit here because um, I'm curious as to sort of your feelings about a few things and, and, and trying to get some answers. So the first question I'm going to throw out to you. So um, there was the possibility, apparently, there was discussion about a 350 Super Show in Florida in February during Speed Weeks. And from what I can find out, it seems that the particular track, which I think was a quarter mile or whatever, that they were wanting to run a map that, you know, just ended up being too small or nobody wanted to run on a quarter mile. But here's my question to you. 
as a 350 driver whose family owns, you know, obviously uh, more than one, um, what would you have any interest in in doing some sort of a um, a, a show or or a a mini series uh, like that, say during Speed Weeks or you know. Um, during the season at some place, Florida, you know, Virginia, whatever, do you, would you have any interest in a, in seeing the 350s go out and do some of that? And if so, what would it take in your mind in order to get a good field of cars? What kind of dollars? What sort of, what would be... If if Jeff was you know if I was wanting to put on a show with 350s, what would it take to get you know 12 to 15 or or so um, 20 to, to to travel to Florida during speed weeks to run uh, you know a few nights? Yeah, I honestly think a lot of us drivers, um, where I'm I'm obviously not a, a car owner, right. But I, I think a lot of us drivers would obviously be very interested. Um, I think as far as a, a car owner and team point of view goes, I think it would only be justifiable on a couple of different things, and one is the schedule. Um, if you had one race, like a one-race deal down south, that may work, but I don't know if you'll get the, you'll get the, the car counts like you want. Right. Versus if it was like a, a two-race or three-race deal. Well, that's what I would think about, um, three or four races. Yeah, I, like you said, like with a series. I think that might make it more worth your while. And in my opinion right now, with what it's going to take with the 350s, is the rule package. Um, Star and Oswego, in my opinion, have a great thing going for the rules package. I think it keeps you on the honest playing field where um, – I mean, I know there's other series out there that they talk about why it's not a level playing field, but in my opinion, when it comes to Star and Oswego, the, 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 the threat of them pulling your motor and getting it dynoed keeps you honest of making sure that you don't have an illegal motor in there. Because having that in the back of your mind of where and when that motor is going to be taken out from you to have it be dynoed, is, is obviously going to keep you honest on if you if you have a build motor in there. I mean, why would you have a build motor in there if you know that threat of having your motor pulled and having you branded, in my opinion, branded yeah. to, to, have, to be labeled as a cheater? To me, if you want to be labeled as a cheater and branded like that, it's so not worth it. So when it comes to a race, like a, a series down south, I think between scheduling um, – Rules, everyone being the same rules package, and obviously purse. I think it'd have to be a pretty good justifiable purse for the guys that come on down there. Um, but at the same time, like most people might say, oh, it has to pay a lot of money to go down there. I think if if you had a two or three race series that everybody was in the same playing field, the purse is obviously going to have a lot to do with it. But I don't think I think if you had the other two. Um, factors into play. I don't think the purse is going to have as much of a overlook if you have the rules and a schedule on top of um, where it needs to be. Um, if you don't have the rules in the in the schedule where they need to be, 
the purse ain't going to really matter in my opinion. But if you've got the rules package and the schedule to work out where it's justifiable to take for guys to take a day or two off from work to come on down there and do that, um, in my opinion, the purse will kind of fall in the hand and make it worth it. Obviously, it's got to be something that's a little bit better than what's going on around here just because of the the traveling. Yeah. Um, But I, like I said, I really think if you had the scheduling and the, and the, um, rules package together, and, the, and when I say rules package, everybody on the same playing fields. I think that'll be the biggest, um, biggest point of uh, the biggest, biggest thing to make the deal happen versus a purse. As much as people may think money is the, the answer, I don't think money would be the only solution to making it happen well i think it's a see and that's where um this gets me to my next question because um i mean you know you didn't mention smack but i'm going to and i'm not trying to be derogatory or disrespectful here in any way but i am trying to to put this on the table and 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 you know kind of get some honesty here so so um I've I've said that because my first thought is if we run only the Oswego star rules, um, you know, how many cars are we going to get? Are we going to get any of the smack cars to come down? Because obviously those guys run a different motor package. And I mean, if that's what they want to do, that's fine. It's their their deal. But but how is there a way, in your opinion, and this is where I would want I would think the the you always want to be able to get as many cars for competition as as you can and then out of that you know group obviously x amount are going to actually go run your race is there a way to have a a, a race say we were going to do something in Florida is there a way to have a race and be able to have a a rules package that allows both the smack cars and their motor and your, you know, the Oswego star cars and their motor to compete. What would you have to do in order to, is there an easy way to sort of kind of equalize whether it's gearing or whatever? Um, is there a way to do that in your opinion? And, and would, would everybody be open to it? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I think the division has been down that road almost of, of a experimenting, I think is a good way to put it, of okay. what's best to keep everybody on the same playing field. And um, I think you could say things like you said, like the gear rule could help play into keeping everybody on the same playing field. The gear rule, um, a, t- a two-barrel versus a four-barrel, a okay. restrictor plate restrictor plate versus no restrictor plate, uh, left side weight rules, uh, total weight rules. Um, I think they all theoretically could help make us a better, uh, more of an equal playing field. But the way I look at it as is you take a lot of these competitors like myself and my family who have stuck to the, the crate motor deal because that's what, that's what everybody's, try to go down to keep everybody in the same playing fields right when you when you take some of these motors that are supposedly only a little bit bigger but they really there really is nothing to prove that and unless you actually dyno it right um i think it all comes down to relying on on tech 
and you're not gonna you're not gonna pull every single motor to um, to figure out who's illegal and legal. And in and in my opinion, in my honest opinion, Tom, it's not about the guys who win or run top five every week. It's about the guys who run down back 10th, 12th, 13th every yeah. week, and they show up every week to, to, to better themselves and to support the, the class. And like I said, forget about the top five or the top six, seven guys. They're all going to be fighting the same thing no matter what's going on. Yeah. But these, these guys that are running you know, a little bit farther down the pack and they're trying to improve themselves, I don't, I don't see why it would be fair to one of those guys who's on a budget, um, runs down back, and they have a, a legal 604 motor. I don't think it'd even be fair to them to have to waste their their energy and, and time to try and pass a guy who has a motor that's worth more than their whole car. Because, in my opinion, that's kind of what's going on right now. I think people may not agree to it or, or, or say it out front, but there are some motors out there running in that smack tour that are very expensive. Um, and I, I know what we bought our car for. I'll tell you right now because you're probably not going to even believe me. But we bought our car. It didn't have a motor in it, but we bought our car for five grand. And it was a wow. rolling it was a rolling chassis. It had a lot of good stuff to go with it. And I know there's motors out there in the smack program. If you look at their rules, you could run a motor in their rules that's worth twenty grand. Yeah. All the minimal. And again, it comes down to relying on tech. So what are you gonna do? Pull every motor? I don't think that's the answer. And all and like the guys running down in tenth or twelfth spot, they're not even gonna be in the conversation of the guy that finished twelfth, he's not even gonna be in the conversation if his motors needs to be pulled because they're worried about if that's the reason he he beat the 13th place guy. It's always going to be about the top five or top six or seven cars that run up front every week. So so those guys are, are running down back every week and they're trying to improve themselves. It's just not fair to me, in my opinion, to for them to even have to race against some of those bigger motors um, if you want to go down the bigger motor route and you think that's what's going to make better racing, well, that's fine. Go go big block racing. Go spend all the money you want and, and run big blocks. They they could you they could really use the support. Well, that but works true. And this this 350 class is supposed to be almost like a, a lower budget deal for the lovers of the super world and that don't want to go run a big block. So, I think I think the my best answer to your um, question is: It comes down to tech, and you're not gonna you're not gonna pull every single motor. And the guys that are running farther towards the back, I, I not not all the way towards the back, but mid pack or so. It's just not fair, in my opinion, for them to even have to race against anybody that has a lot more horsepower. I mean, if 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 some guys have a better carburetor, distri- uh, distributor, header package than other guys obviously they're going to have you know five to ten maybe ten horsepower more but these other guys running 50 60 70 more horsepower um it's just not worth it for them or fair to them so 
then then it all comes down to the, the money that they're going to spend going down south. I mean, for those guys to do what it takes to run down there, I mean, I don't know about you, Tom, but that'd be a, a one long 20, 14 hour, whatever it may be, that'd be one long ride down somewhere knowing in the back of your head that you don't have as great of a car when it comes to the motor as everybody else. I mean, you want to go down to these races with the most confidence in yourself and your car and then the team as you can. And if you don't have the money as some of these guys do, you're off, you're right off the, uh, you're not on the same playing field to begin with. So you lose your confidence. And I think if you keep everybody in the same playing field, that gives not only the guys that are running down back the confidence, but it gives new people wanting to get into the sport confidence that, oh, he's winning all the races. Well, I can go buy what he has. There ain't nothing special behind it. But if, 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 if people start or if series start doing like what Smack's doing, in my opinion, there's, there's a lot more, there's way too many gray areas. And people with the right money, and the right knowledge will take advantage to those gray areas and it will create toxic uh, toxic racing conditions for the, the true competitors that are trying to do it for the love of the sport. And it's, it's just not fair to them. So what so I, I I guess what are you are you then telling me that you don't even think if you tried to come up with a way to sort of equalize the built versus the crate you don't see a way to make it level enough so that everybody could relatively, you know, compete. Yeah, and I, I mean, to be honest with you, yes, I think it's <clears throat> this division is supposed to be a lot more of like a blue collar, uh, well, short, but... short, short track racing deal. And as much as I want to see it succeed with everybody's opinions all jumbled in a pile and everybody's happy. Um, like I said, I think with the right people, with the right amount of money behind the scenes could take advantage of the gray areas and it would just create a toxic uh, racing environment for the, the true competitors who are trying to support it on the right for the right reasons. So then if I'm a promoter and I'm I'm listening to this, I'm saying, okay, well if I just ran, in other words, basically if I if if I told the smack cars to stay home, um, how many cars are available? Now I didn't I'm not asking how many would go, because obviously you can't answer that because you can't speak for everybody, but how many cars in your mind are available to even run the show, run a three-race series in Florida or wherever um, if if somebody wanted to have one for decent money? Well, as much as I think, honestly, Tom, is everything that me and you were talking about is, is a great uh, thing for the division. It gives spotlight on the division. It gives it give publicity for the division to go down south and do something like this. But you take, a, for instance, uh, Oswego Classic or even the Star Classic. Yep. The Oswego Classic is is six hours away from home for me, and I live in Massachusetts. Okay. There are a lot more people in New England that did not run Oswego because of their own reasonings. And I don't know if it's money, 
I'm sure money has a little bit to do with it. Um, the, the time that they, it takes to run out there, which even making it Sunday only, I thought would have helped that. But even with making it a Sunday only show for the Oswego Classic, um, I honestly don't really remember off the top of my head, but how many cars were there? Like I 17. 19. I think we had 19. Yeah. Yeah. So we had 19 cars. And honestly, other than me, my brother in the 21, my uncle in the 39, Jim Storis in the 47, uh, that's four cars. I know of a minimal, minimal, Tom, of 10 right off the top of my head that could go out there, but they chose not to. So, and honestly, the same thing, and I'm not, I'm not trying to get in between anybody. I'm just trying to talk about what's sure. actually happened. Well, that's what I'm asking but, for. And even, even like at Star, Star, we had, uh, I think it was about 20 cars, maybe even like 21, 22. I don't really remember exactly at the top of my head. But out of those 20 cars, there was only one, Dave Cliff, he came on out, um, Sokolik. They came on out. If there's anybody else that I'm, I'm missing, I, I apologize. But there was only two that I can think of exactly, maybe three, cars that came out for the Star Classic. So, and that's, and, and Tom, we're talking about areas that are within six hours of each right. other. Florida's so, a lot farther. So basically and, what you're saying is it's probably not realistic to... Well, and when you talk about these smack guys, in my opinion... They're they're the ones that are the majority that are uh, they're like the minorities right now. They're they're the they're the majority, but also the minorities at the same time. They have a they have easily a dozen cars who, from what I can see, they don't even have a schedule for next year yet. But wow. there's a there's a dozen cars easily, probably more that didn't even compete, not once all year long at Star or Oswego. Forget about the classics. Yeah. They don't. Even, they didn't even show up for a regular race to, right? Just to support them, or even just for the love of the sport for their own sake. You know, um, and I, I think of people like my own family here. I mean, heck, Tom, I'll, I hate to say this on on live, live broadcasts, but I've bounced a check at Lee Speedway back in when I was when we first started our deal. And that just shows, in my opinion, how much dedication we have as a, as a group to want to do this. Yeah, not you in, know? let's get this out of the way. You are not endorsing that other folks should go out and bounce checks. You're just explaining no. your history. <laughs> and I, I think that just shows our love of the sport, and that's why we do what we do. Yeah. But for all these other guys, um, I just don't have a valid answer on to why they do what they do, I right. guess. right. So, yeah, okay, well, that, I mean, and that's good information because basically what that would tell me as a, you know, as a promoter is maybe I don't want to attempt this because if, if, you know, if I'm not going to get, because again, you know, I, I mean, I've been in that business and, you know, I've run, managed racetracks, I've promoted series, I know how all this (laughs) works and I know the dollars involved. And if, you know, if, if you're going to have, um, a race and you're going to promote that this class, whatever it is, is coming to your race and they're going to bring, you know, 10 or 11 cars or 12 cars. I don't know that that's, I mean, I know in 2023, you know, a lot of people's expectations are lowered 
because of, you know, economy and whatever, but like that's a heat race to me. That's not a featured yeah. class. So so yeah. it, you know, you would you would want to be, you know, north certainly north of 15 and it just doesn't sound like maybe there's and 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 as to your your point about a swiggo and star and the car's not going back and forth, um, Camden teased that you know there's there may be some things in the works for next year between the two tracks. So um, I'm hoping that maybe there's something going on that will entice the back and forth a little more because I understand the expense of it, um, but you know. And I and I hope obviously the Oswego field grows more because you need the hometowners to get involved. But um, you know I think this is a great class, and um, and I would love to see more back and forth between Oswego and Star because I and again I'm saying this just as an observer, just putting it out there, not with any malice at all. It doesn't appear that Smack's interested any more than any SS is interested in, you know the the, the wing rule or whatever there. That these 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 series are going to do their thing and they're happy doing it and that's okay. Um, it's unfortunate because you know obviously there's not you know 150 or 200 cars out there to be you know. Um, but you know it 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 seems to me like um, Star and Oswego need to be you know doing as much as they can to incentivize you know, the opportunities to go back and forth and, and the motivation to do it because uh, I know that the, the people in both places love the 350s. So, um, you know, if when, when when I go up for the Classic, I want to see all the best 350 drivers there. I understand I'm not getting the smack guys. Maybe I might get, you might get one or two that decide to, to come and play. But, um, you know, I I want to see Jeffrey Battle and Ryan Battle, and you know, I want to see the locks, and I want to see every, I want to see everybody that 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 can be there because there's just not enough to yeah. to have people not run. If that all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I I honestly think Star and Oswego are definitely on the right track. I think better or great things are to come down the road for them. I hope so. I think it, I think it's starting to show slowly but surely how them being on the same page is helping the division. Because um, you can take our car, a car like ourselves, who we can go run Star and Oswego, and we don't have to do anything. Right. It's the same. It's the same rules. So these, as far as like the smack smack deal versus the the Ness New England Super Series deal, in my opinion, goes is is I. I totally understand the New England Super Series deal with what they're trying to um, conquer on that. They are trying to bring the cost of the, the, the division down to help newcomers coming in, and I totally agree with everything they're doing. Obviously, others may disagree to how early they are pushing certain rules, not which is not allowing other guys to run, but as the big picture... I understand why they're doing what they're doing, um, but like the smack deal, they're, in my opinion, they're doing what they're doing because they just say that oh the the motor rules are dishonest at Star and Oswego, so we're gonna make our own motor rules, and their motor program is it's just a gray area. So if these guys who are building these built motors because they say that they're technically cheaper well this 
these previous motors, the previous motor that we ran in our, my uncle's car, literally had over 30 races in the thing. And I don't know about you, but I think that's a really good amount of time getting out of a motor. And I have seen, I, I honestly don't even know of a motor that I've seen blown up this year or even last year at Star or even Oswego. Um, we had a motor uh, hurt hurt us. We actually we overheated it and we overheated it and it the piston hit the cylinder walls and it uh, was running like shit on shit on us out in Oswego last year. But we never hurt the we never blew up the motor. And when you look at Smack, um, they made again they may tell you how their motor program is cheaper because it costs less to get a motor in your hands compared to getting a dynoed and sealed motor. But there's a lot of guys who are blowing up motors every couple races. So if you want to go chase that bigger mouse trap who's turning their motor, you know, 7,500 RPMs yeah. or whatever they may be, why, why do you want to be running around with your little motor only turning at 6,500 when those guys are turning 7,500? And, and you're doing all the traveling. You're buying all the same amount of tires. Yeah. You're spending the same amount of hours in the shop as them. And you show up on race day, and you still don't have what they have. Um, so I, I'm getting a little off topic here, but I, I just don't really understand why Smack's doing what they're doing. I think a lot of it is more, uh, honestly, poli- not not politics, but certain people's persuasive opinions sure. on, yeah. well, um, yeah, of on course. things. And that's fine. Rather, I mean... rather than coming to a conclusion, like even myself, I'm not afraid to – I'm not afraid to say I don't know everything and I never will know everything, but sometimes you have to settle for – you have to come to a, 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 a conclusion where you work together. Compromise. And, compromise, yeah. 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 And those guys, they're, they don't want to compromise. They want to do their own thing and they don't want to look back on, on anybody else and they want to start a new series that is totally obsolete, in my opinion, from anything else that's going on with the 350s. So – Rather than rather than than creating a touring series, I almost think they created a whole other division because now you just took guys who had a legal motor that were running Star in Oswego, and they started being uh, talked into how it's a whole it's a dishonest program. Yeah. They they started going to the Smack program and. And I honestly think they realize. I mean, I I'm, I could be totally wrong, but I think a handful that realize that this smack deal is not cracked up to what it's supposed to be. I mean, these guys are they have big motors. They're turning them way harder than what everybody else is turning. Yeah. Um, like I said, I mean, there's only been a handful of motors that have blown up at Star and even Oswego. I don't even know of any that have blown up at Oswego. And I've watched all the flow races over the years. Uh, where like smack, they're blowing up motors every couple of weeks. Yeah, it's well, so, and again, it's you know just like anything else when it comes to motors, the harder you turn them, right? The the more you twist them, the the more vulnerable they are. Um, yeah, and yeah, it's it's just interesting. Now I want to go back though to the NESS thing for a minute because I'm interested. Because you you seem very supportive of everything they're doing, I maybe you can explain because I have been trying for weeks online and on these shows to get somebody to explain clearly to me 
the difference between one 24-square-foot wing and the other 24-square-foot wing, if they're both um, two-stage wings, why is this such a sticking point for NESS um, to not allow, because it would seem like, again, for, say, the Star Classic, if we could have gotten the two big, you know, because you got two of them on the same weekend now, if, if we could separate them, I would guess you get five, six, seven more cars. What is the, explain to me the difference, Jeff, and why it's such a competitive disadvantage to have um, the, the, the I guess I'll say ISMA wing versus the NESS um, uh, wing. Yeah, and I honestly, I agree with you on as far as, it doesn't matter if it's a, a two element, three element, how wide it is, how how long it is. But twenty, uh, a square foot rule is a square foot rule. So you take your lip, your length, and your width. That's gonna help you determine your, your square foot rule. Um, unless those New England Super Series guys are looking at actual data, where they can see that a twenty, what's the rule, twenty four. Well, yeah, feet. 24 square feet, um, and and it's but it's got to be um, it's got to be the the one wing. It can't be, and one is one yeah. is taller and narrower, and the other is shorter and a touch wider. But it's still 24 square feet. I'm just right. trying so, to figure out what the difference is. So un- unless unless guys can support and back this up with, and I can't, but unless guys can back up wind tunnel data wind tunnel data showing that a three element wing with a 24 square foot rule versus a two element wing with a 24 square foot rule if that three element wing has more downforce regardless of your square foot than the two element I could see why they are wanting to eliminate a three element element. Well, let me jump in, though, because um, I want to clarify that it's already been stated that it would be two element, two element. You're not that they it's 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 easy to take, you know, apparently to, to have a two element is but when you just take, you know, one of the elements out or whatever, um, like it's two element versus two element, 24 square feet. The, the only difference is the sort of shape that makes up that 24 square feet. So I'm just I and I and I'm not trying to badger or belabor anybody from any SS. I want to understand why they're basically turning their series into a 12 car series um, when they could have more cars if they would simply open up the wing rule. It's not even about the crate motor at this point because. I mean, it's their deal if they want to allow the crate, which I think is a good idea, personally. But, um, you know, I don't see why Isma and the Swiggo don't allow the crate, too, because, again, if somebody wants to try it, let them try it. You know, let them, let them, um, right? But, like, I'm just trying to get some sort of a cogent answer, and nobody has been able to supply one. It's almost as if the guy who's supplying the wings or the, the, the wings for the NESS, it's like somebody's put money into the thing or something because nobody will, nobody it seems to want to budge. Yeah, I think I could see why two element versus three element is kind of irrelevant in a way because, um, again, like unless you're looking at wind tunnel data, yeah. there's probably – there's only so much you can get out of a three-element wing. Same with a two-element wing. When it comes to a square foot rule, 
And besides the fact of two element versus three element, where Ness has put in a gear rule, I personally feel like that kind of levels it out as it is because if you to, to run a three element wing, it doesn't. If you run a three element wing that is uh, not so aggressive as a two element wing that is is as aggressive, you can make a two element wing that's more aggressive that has more downforce than a three element wing that is less aggressive. So when you put into that that gear rule. In my, in my personal opinion, it kind of makes all that stuff irrelevant because you can only pull that wing around as hard as you have the motor to pull it around with. And if you can't turn that motor hard because of a gear rule, why do you want to be lugging to, to get to get down for us? You ha, you're gonna it comes with drag. It doesn't, in my opinion, it doesn't really matter how okay. much. It doesn't really matter how much downforce you have, but to, to get downforce, it comes with drag. So if you have a tremendous amount of downforce, three-element wing, but you're you're dictated to run a gear rule, you can't use that three-element wing down the straightaways. Or when I say use it, you're not going to be as equal down the straightaways with a three-element wing compared to a two-element wing. Because you just don't have the motor to pull it, because now you're you're running a lot less gear. So, but it, again, if we're not talking about three element here, if we take that out of the conversation and we go two element, two element, both twenty four square feet, okay? Um, is is, is I mean, how, what's the what's the advantage of the Isma two element that see that's shorter in a touch? I mean, we're talking about the same total square yeah. footage. What's the yeah. advantage of that, or, or, or is there any? I'm just trying to figure out because everybody wants to talk about three element, but no, the 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 rule on the table would be two element versus two element. Yeah, and I I honestly think that the two elements are the um, they they have been proven that it it can be the way to go. And I think there's, and I'm not, I'm hoping I'm not making people upset if they listen to this, but well, people that are. I'm not trying to either. I'm just trying to find an yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah. I want to learn. But people that are running the three element wing and that are against of running the two element wing, and in my opinion, they've been running that setup for a long time. So they're almost, almost reluctant to go against what they've set their car up to do. Yeah, it's just, it feels to me like this is just more of them saying, we don't want you to race than it is. Because the, the, the original thing that was said to me by their their PR guy who was doing PR for him last year was that 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 it was it was said that, that um, Bentley Warren told them that the, the, the bigger wings could hook, so we should go to the small one. I don't buy that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. And, and I think, and so all I'm trying to figure out is, if that's what their reasoning is, if it's a safety thing, I wish somebody would just say, look, there's no difference in performance. It's just yeah. about safety versus, you know, saying, well, we think we think the division's growing, so we're going to just leave the wings as they are and not allow anybody else to come and race. Because um, I would feel, again, like as a promoter, as a marketing guy, I want as many cars at my show as I can have. Yeah, you know, I I honestly feel like, as far as like you said, as far as uh, the, the 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 rule, the square foot rule goes, is it's kind of irrelevant if you have a two element or three element wing. But as far as the New England Super Series goes, 
they are very um, confident that the the two element wing rule with the twenty four square foot rule is going to help with the future of the division. And I and, and and I think the only problem that comes into competitors wanting to to run with that is, like I said, a lot of these guys that have been running three elements all along. One, they have their cars set up to run the three element, and two, a lot of them might not even have a two element, so they almost have to. But can't you take an element out of the of the wing to make it a two element wing? Because I've I think that's what's been been basically stated is we're going to take yeah. our existing three, make it a two. They're both 24 square foot. It seems like the Valley Wing, for some reason, is the only wing the NASS drivers want. And all I want to understand is, is that because Valley is a big sponsor, a big, like, like what is, tell me, help us understand why. Because as a fan, I look at the Star Classic and go, you're going to get 12 cars. That's not a classic. Yeah. That's a heat. And yeah, I, 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 if I'm a fan, I'm going. I want 15 to 20. I want the the. I want Abel. I want Sitterly. I want. And and if that's all I want to know is what's the yeah, if I, they're both I, two element, you know. <laughs> I, I I think because New England Super Series, they were the first division to make it the three element illegal. Um, when they did that, they also I, I believe they added the width rule. Correct. Um, I don't, as far as I know, it's 24 square feet. Now the Valley wing is the, it's, that's the thing is like, one's a little taller and narrower. The other one's a little shorter and wider. And it was said that it was cause somebody was afraid they were going to hook. I don't know that that's ever happened. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I personally don't think it's anything to do with safety. I think when they, I, if I'm not mistaken, I thought they implied like a width rule. Maybe, maybe that was. Well, they may happen. have, and that may be what. But again, it's like it's still twenty-four square feet. What's the difference? Yeah. Somebody show me. You know, and and again, I'm I'm obviously not trying to like harass you. I'm only saying that's that's where the fans. I think at the center of all the controversy online, it's just the fans wanting to understand what is the the rationality here because. You're 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 taking a race that used to be one of the triple crown races in the division, and you're basically guaranteeing a maximum field of cars. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I <laughs> I think that like you were saying, as far as taking a three element wing and then taking off an element, I don't really think that's so much the the, the problem in some of these outsiders' point of views. I think it's more so the the width rule if they I believe they do have one which is when they implied the width rule that's obviously forget about the square footage rule yeah. they, when they when they implied the width rule that is not allowing all of these three element wings that are already built to be allowed to run right so it, it's it, it does make it obsolete for them and they don't want to build another wing just to run that series um, yeah that's the but problem, and you shouldn't I, have to. Yeah, and I honestly think, like I was saying about the gear rule, I'm not going to go against what Ness is doing. I'm really not. I'm just this is an outsider point of view going in. But I think with the gear rule in play, I don't. I personally don't think they should be too stressed about the three elements because you you can't you can only pull the wing around with what you have to pull it around right. with. Yep. And yep. 
if you don't have the motor to pull it around with, then you can't use all that downforce right. to help you. Um, but I, as we both know, there's a lot of people who have been supporting the Nest deal who have two elements only. Yeah. And I think what happened this year is 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 the owners or the series um, directors that have been running Nest, they have been very loyal to their competitors that have been supporting them. And from what I can gather, they kind of went against what anybody else had to say. Yeah. Um, they really want to stay loyal to their competitors and their competitors. They believe in the two element wing rule, regardless of the square footage where like me and you, we think if you have the gear rule and you have the square footage rule, forget about the square footage rule. But if you have the gear rule, it doesn't really matter. If, if you have a tremendous amount of wing with a, with a shitload amounts of downforce, you can't pull that motor down the straightaways, especially you go to a track like Oswego. I mean, I know Ness doesn't run there, but even even at a track like, um, I'm trying to think that a track like Ness runs at, that would that make a little more sense. Um, uh, even any of these tracks, I mean, if you even if it's a smaller track, if you have a lot amount of of down force. In, in a three-element wing, you need the, the gear to pull it out of the corners and down the straightaways. So when you take out that three-element, when you take out that gear rule or the gear that you need to run that wing and you apply a gear rule, you, did, you dictate about how yeah. hard yeah. You, can, you can push that sure. wing. So I, I think it becomes a better balance when you run a two-element. But I, I think right now what's going on is you got a lot of people – who have supported the Nest series and they they just don't want to budge with yeah it's the unfortunate deal because I think the losers are the fans obviously because they don't get to see you know all the cars and stars that they would want to see they get only this little group of cars over here that's doing their own thing and and I I just I don't I I so badly just want somebody to sit me down and say okay with the Valley Wing. X with the other wing Y here's the reason and and here's here's the rationale and all I keep hearing is basically vague no we're just going to do we're just going to and and it doesn't make sense and and I I really hate it for the for for because the Star Classic is going to be less of a classic race in my opinion that it's it's it because there's only going to be so many cars there and I'm not again. I know that sounds awful. I should be. I'm happy the Star Classics back, which is why I want some way to see the Abels or whoever of the world that would go run that thing, be able to go run it, and nobody. And and it's just like Ness doesn't seem to want outside competition, and so it's too bad. But um, but there you have it. And and I appreciate you kind of taking the time to. To explain all that, I mean, I've because to me, there's not enough. Just like with the 350s, not enough big block supers for us to be splintering off and having, you know, when we should be trying to unify and we're one step away. And especially for a race as big as the Star Classic, you would think that they would want to find a way to to make it happen, and it just doesn't. And of course, now they're on the same; they're still on the same weekend anyway, so it doesn't matter. But um, you know, yeah. it's just I, sad, I, you know. I, 
I, as much as you were probably hoping the media explain the, a little bit better <laughs> an X, X, X wing and a Y wing, I, I really think it comes down to a lot of these loyal yeah. supporters yeah. and that's who yeah. had believed the yep. two element wing rule. And as it, well, the it Valley to, wing specifically, apparently there's something about that wing. They only want that. They don't care how many elements they only want that. So that's, it's the Valley wing that they're, 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 you know, putting their loyalty in. And it's like, okay, if you, if you don't want to, it's kind of like with the purpose of a gear rule would be to equalize. Well, if you're going to, you know, I mean, if, if, if you're so, you know, if, if you only want that wing, that's fine. Just realize that it's, if when 12 cars show up for the star classic, it's not, that's no longer the main attraction. That's a, that's not yeah. a main attraction. And that's too bad because yeah. the fans up there, I think deserve better. And I, and, and I, I, and, and here's the other piece of this. The irony is I don't blame Tom Mayberry for this at all. Um, and I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just disappointed that we can't get total unification even for one race. But the, 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 the Tom, ironically, with pass, with the late models, as you know, um, you can run a built motor, a crate motor. You can, he, he, he always had ways, at least here in the South, I assume it's the same way in the North. He always had ways of basically trying to equalize, you know, that way. And so I think Tom, it seemed like was willing, but the, the teams weren't and nobody's been, I haven't heard a, a, a rational, complete explanation of why they made that decision it's like you know you're dooming your classic field your what would be your biggest race up there you're dooming that field to you know 12 or 13 cars or whatever i hope that group grows because i want to see more supers in competition but boy that's you know i think like i think like you said you got your your you got a bunch of your loyal competitors who who the the series directors are going to stand behind yeah um well tom has no choice in my opinion i don't blame him yeah yeah and i i i think honestly when it comes to that and then also the fact of um a lot of these guys just don't want to go down the three element path because of the past i understand that point of view but at the same time i understand how if you have a 24 square foot rule how it doesn't really matter right and and it wasn't even about three elements because everybody was willing to get rid of an element so it's two element two element same square footage yeah so so that the three element part was out of the conversation so so i think you know i do i do think i hate to say this but i do think a little bit of that as a little bit of that reasoning and the reason they went to that that way or that rule is because of um, not to call some of these guys stubborn, but they just, they don't, they don't care about if you have, they don't care what the wing rule. They just don't want to see three element wings regardless. Yeah. Even though, even though they may be proven that you can take a two element, you can take a three, a two element that's more aggressive and create more downforce right. and less drag and a three element. I think it's more so of these guys trying to, prove their own points in their in their heads where it might their their own their 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 facts almost might become irrelevant because if you do look at the data sheets in like a wind tunnel i believe that you can create a two element wing that is a lot more aggressive that with a lot less drag 
than a three element that has just as much downforce yeah. as a two element, but it, a three element is going to have more drag because you have a lot more, you have a lot more material up there creating that three element wing. So to get that downforce, you gotta you gotta make it an aggressive, and when when you make that three element aggressive, that comes with drag. So uh, I think I think the moral behind all this is is it comes down to the series directors backing up their competitors. Sure. Their competitors are, are, are yeah. competitors just want the daily wing. They don't care about car count. They don't care about, you know, um, about having the best in, they, they just want what they want. And again, more power to them. I'm not trying to be insulting. It's just unfortunate because we're so close to finally unifying the whole doggone thing. And this just seems really, really picky, you know, it's just, yeah. and then of course the crate motor part of it, like I've all I've said from the start, Isma and Oswego should just sure you want to run a crate, run a crate, you know, create the opportunity for because again at this point there is, uh, there is no um to me it doesn't hurt anything. Somebody wants to try it, let them run, and you know if it starts working well, maybe that helps get more people into the division, which should be the whole point, should it not? I mean, I feel like we've yeah. got similar situations in both the 350 and the big block. There's one group that just wants to do their own thing, and they don't care about the big picture. And that, yeah. it's, it's, that's, I, I'm not, I'm not um, insulting them for their choice. I'm just saying it's unfortunate because it does hold back progress, in my opinion. Yeah. You know? Yep. So, yep. Um, okay, so look, the one question we didn't ask, uh, and, and I want to thank you for being so generous with your time here. We've been over an hour, but I, I always like to end the interviews with um, giving people a chance to thank their sponsors and anybody, you know, that they want to. So who helped you make this all happen, Jeffrey? Yeah, obviously uh, my Uncle Rich has been a big big deal behind my whole 350 racing um, he's put a lot of time and effort into all of this, and we we first got this car together. Me and him spent every night out there religiously getting it together, and and since then he's really allowed me to kind of back off from help fund it, and allow me to kind of go on my own life and focus on things that I need to focus on in life, and without putting all my money into racing. So Uncle Rich has really been a huge aspect of all of this. Um, Without him, it wouldn't be possible. Um, Whitcomb Crane, Westford Glass, Essex Seafood, um, Brian Brian and Jen West Automotive, which is actually the Eddie West, um, his 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 son and and um, son and daughter-in-law. They helped help me out with the racing. Um, Howie Howie Lane, who he is Essex Seafood, he's always coming to support us and helping us out when he can. Um, R.J. Lacombe, Septic, New England Motor Racing Supply, um, and then in more so than the crew, um, Joe, Cody, um, Zach, when he's able to, and, and, and especially Uncle Rich. I mean, his his efforts that he puts into the car at the shops when even I'm not there is, is second to none. Well, um, we certainly enjoy watching you run, and uh, we congratulate you on the 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 classic win and um i hope that we will see you even more at oswego in 24 and i guess i will end this with um what are your plans are you going to be back in the modified again are you what do you what do you know about uh for 2024 that you can talk to us about yeah we'll be running the 350 
um, every week that we can. I'm sure we'll be running about right now. There's like 16, 17 races planned for Sweet. the the series just in New England here, not even including Oswego. Wow. So um, I'm sure we'll run all of those, and we'll run Oswego when we can a handful of times, and we'll obviously run the modified with the MRS series, and hopefully a select open shows when we can. Nice. Um, but the, the the super is it's 20 minutes for me down the road with a modified an hour hour for me and my uncle obviously is it's in his backyard so yeah the super is a lo- lot more justifiable for me right now i think for where i'm at in my life to to kind of uh stay committed to if i'm going to stay committed to any racing just because of how how much help i get and how how easy he makes it for me well, um, we certainly look forward to 2024 and seeing what you can do. And thanks again for being so generous with your time and uh, helping us to just try to sort out and understand things here. You've been, it's been a very insightful interview. And um, have uh, a happy Thanksgiving and holiday season and look forward to uh, talking to you again real soon. Sounds good, Tom. Thank you very much. Enjoy your holidays. That is Jeffrey Battle. Back with more of The Groove after this. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove, Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter. If you've got something that you need designed or fabricated, let them help you transform your idea, your vision, and your budget into a workable, high-performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services End-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. We're back on the groove, and it is time for What's in a Number, this segment being brought to you by Wiggity Wayne Sauces. For the absolute tastiest, most carefully and joyfully crafted barbecue sauces, ketchups, and rubs, it is Wiggity Wayne Sauces for the win. Wayne is a racer. He is absolutely determined to elevate your post-race barbecue or your off-season barbecue, go tailgate at the football game with Wiggity Wayne Sauces. It all works. Visit WiggityWayneSauces.com to check out all of the delicious flavors. He has got zero to call the fire department. So uh, find something that you like and enjoy. WiggityWayneSauces.com. What's in a number? This is it. We're done after this. Um, hard to believe, but let's finish strong, shall we? The number 35 is our final number to look at here. And this one is both relatively easy until later and fun at the same time. So uh, let's talk about it. When, when I first started going to the track, 
The very first 35 I remember is the Keenan Addy special. George Keenan, Tom Addy from Michigan, owned a car that uh, at the time Johnny Logan was driving. And Johnny was a competitor uh, who, again, Michigan-based, who was just a, he was a throwback. I mean, Johnny was, Johnny was a very, very, very tough racer to pass. Super nice guy off the track, but boy, he was, he was a tough hombre on it, as I remember. And didn't win a lot of races at Oswego, but he did win a few, and he was always, always in the hunt when the car was right. But we need to go back a little bit. Now, again, I started going in early 1973, so um, anything prior to that that I talk about is obviously not from firsthand, but, um, you know, programs or, you know, whatever, hearing people talk about it. Um, and so 60s, 50s, 60s, I have no clue about 35. Somebody who has been going longer than me can fill that in. Um, the very first one I remember knowing about was that same Keenan Addy car, but it wasn't Johnny Logan yet. Uh, in, I think it was 72, John Logan was driving for Max Dowker in the number seven car. And a gentleman named Skip Manning from Bogalusa, Louisiana was driving the 35 car. Now, Skip, I think, had driven um, a couple of other cars prior to that, perhaps. Um, the Joya 9 being one, I seem to remember Skip. And again, this is some programs. I think I remember him being in the nine a little bit before Steve Jr. started. And... Um, there was a, a rear engine car number 57 that I think he raced maybe a time or two to swiggle, but, um, but I would argue that he probably had his best super modified days in that Keenan Addy 35. Didn't drive it for a long time, but, um, again, tough competitor, super nice guy. Um, I think everybody kind of, um, had some fun with his Louisiana accent. You know, you can probably, I don't, I, I never met Skip, never had the pleasure of that, but I could only imagine, you know, something like a Terry Bradshaw kind of, uh, kind of accent maybe. Um, but, um, I've known plenty of racers from Louisiana. Uh, we've got a bunch of, as I call them, racing Cajuns that compete every year with us at, um the O'Reilly Auto Parts National Indoor Kart Championships in Batesville on Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, and just some of the nicest people you will ever meet. Skip, um, I think Skip had a lot of fun. Now, the the thing about the thing about Skip that's interesting to talk to, or talk about, I should say, is that back in that period of time, Super Modifieds, were a stepping stone to Indy. Well, Skip Manning kind of did something that not many other people did in that time period. In fact, I don't know if I could name one that did it. Um, he went from super modifieds to NASCAR. Skip started racing NASCAR, and, and I believe that he went basically straight to Cup what was then the Grand National Series, 
Um, Winston Cup uh, coming along right in there. But the top series, he went straight to the top series. He was driving for a guy named Billy Hagen, who I think was based out of Texas, if I'm not mistaken. He had a company called Stratigraph. I'm not sure what what it did. But the car was number 92, and Skip actually took to the stock cars and did pretty well. I don't think they had the type of funding even back then that the top teams did. They certainly didn't have the most experience, but Skip had several top 10 finishes. I watched him run really well at Pocono in 1977, but Skip took what then was sort of an unconventional step. And uh, so he didn't hang around supers long enough to really uh, probably make the impact that he could have had he stayed, but... You know, you think about somebody like Bentley Warren, who, you know, showed that sort of star power early on, then went to Indy and raced Indy cars for a while. And then in 1976, came back to Supers and basically built, you know, built himself into the super modified, you know, uh, Mount Rushmore. I mean, he was... You know, his his chapter two of his super modified career became chapter three and then chapter four. <laughs> and, you know, I know he's like 83 now, but doggone, I, there's there's just always kind of like with the Rolling Stones who just made a new album. How many of you knew that the Rolling Stones have made a new album? Their drummer has passed away. Charlie Watts passed away. They have a new drummer. But but the rest of the band, they've made a new album. They're all like, what, 95 or something? And, you know, now they're going to go on tour and it'll cost you about $8,000 to sit in the nosebleed seats. Um, but but um, so, uh, you know, again, my point to that was, uh, you know what? It, it, there's still a small chance Bentley jumps in the car. <laughs> you can never discount that possibility. But, um, yeah, it was, um, it was, it Skip, again, you, you just never know, but he had a good career there. So once he got out, Johnny Logan got in. The Keenan Addy 35 became, it was a competitive car wherever it went. There was a point where Johnny had a bad crash in it, I remember. And um, they ended up, I think there was a brand new car that was built somewhere in, you know, 74-ish, 5-ish, somewhere in there. And it was red. And that car was a rock-solid race car. Johnny had a lot of good runs in it. He uh, he was really good in long runs, like the classic long races. He was uh, he was just a solid driver. I don't know how else to describe him. Very very solid driver. Very hard. He was a hard out. He was a hard pass. And um, they were they were a fun team. I can remember. There was one classic Friday, and I don't remember um, which weekend or which year this was. But I'm going to say it was somewhere in the 75, 76, 77 era, somewhere in there. So we'll call it the middle 70s. George Keenan decided that he wanted to take his car out for hot laps. Now, I don't know if George Keenan had ever run a race car in his life, but... 
he decided that night he was going to get into 35. And I don't know if that was because Johnny wasn't there or if George just wanted to see what it felt like. Um, now, this was back when Classic Friday consisted of just warm-ups for Supers and Modifieds. There was no racing, no time trials, no nothing, and I love that. I just thought it was awesome. I, If I remember right, I think the Friday deal was included with your Classic ticket. And um, they used to get a good crowd for everybody just to watch cars warm up. It was a pretty simple thing, really, you know. And if you think about it from a promoter's standpoint, you know, how, how many hot dogs and fries and pizza and, you know, hot chocolate, some, some of those classic Friday nights when they got cold coffee, you know, how, how, how much concession did you, did you do? You know, um, so, you know, I think there's this prevailing theory that we have to run races every time we open the track. I don't know that that's true on a classic weekend. I think classic Friday was fun when it was just practice on Friday. But um, the 35 car, again, George Keenan decides he wants to take it out. Well, George doesn't have a fire suit. George is a pretty, you know, he's a, he was a, um, a portly man, right? <laughs> he, uh, so he's, if I remember the picture I saw in the program correctly, I think he, he borrowed part of a suit, like the top from Ron Wallace and the bottom from Gary Kelly or vice versa or something. He had like half and half and he takes the car out. And I, I still remember Roy Silva saying that, it, you know, the, the 35 car, and I remember this phrase. And again, the stupidest things that you remember, but I remember Roy saying that's George Keenan in there. Um, you know, and I don't know even how many laps he took or whatever, but, um, again, the fun things you remember, but so, so here's the payoff here. So on Sunday, classic Sunday, whatever year that was, uh, there was a gentleman named Rich Goldstein who he and his, I think it was his brother, maybe owned a store. In Oswego, I think it was a clothing store. It was, um, I think it was called Klein's, wasn't it? Wasn't it Klein's department store? Something like that. It was downtown somewhere. I don't remember where, but um, <laughs> Rich was the infield announcer. And, and you know, you, you gotta, you gotta remember those days, right? Because I mean, you think about where where uh, technology has come now, right? Electronics and all that. Back in those days, remember when Rich used to have this walkie-talkie with the 28-foot antenna? You know, it, it was like the antenna. It, remember watching Match Game back in the day and Gene Rayburn had that microphone that was like six feet tall that he used to use? <laughs> this, uh, so Rich had this walkie-talkie with this giant antenna on top. And, and ah, looks like over in turn two. You know, it was... <laughs> You know, <laughs> oh boy. Um, and then I think there was, a, then they got him finally a microphone and, and uh, we started creeping up on modern technology, but he used to have a walkie talkie and this giant antenna, um, you know, and uh, 
Rich really was. Rich did well. He used to. He I enjoyed Rich doing that job because Rich always uh, he was very passionate, and you know always always uh, Johnny on the spot. But um, Rich actually presented on Classic Sunday after George Keenan had to basically borrow pieces of fire suit to go out. Rich, uh, Rich, Rich fashioned him with a brand new suit. It was basically a bed sheet <laughs> with a thirty-five on it. It was really funny. Um, so there's that story, yarn. If you want to call it that, there's a yarn to go along with uh, to go along with the 35 legend, if you will. Um, so Johnny raced, I think, right up to like about 1979. I think was the last time John ran, and the last time the car ran um, under Keenan and Addy's ownership. Now this is where it gets uh, another fun piece of the story gets told, and I just now at this moment in my mind am thinking there was a bit of irony here. Um, so in 1979, I think John finished somewhere in the top 10 in the classic. And that was, that was the end. Um, I don't think John raced to get it a swigger. And I don't think the 35 raced under Keenan and Addy's ownership again, if I'm not mistaken, it might've been 1980 was John's last classic. I can't remember, but I seem to think it was 79. Well, somewhere around 80 or 81, the owner of the four car, Ralph Wissing, was looking for a motor and um, either George or Tom, I think, I think maybe Tom Addy might've been like out of the ownership part of it. I think Keenan might've been the only owner um, later in, in that car's run. I'm not sure, but at any rate, a deal was made with one or both or whatever that uh, Ralph would buy the motor out of, the 35 for the four car. Now keep in mind that in this moment of George Keenan deciding he wanted to be a racer, I said he, I believe, and I'm almost positive this is right out of my head. Ron Wallace and Gary Kelly each contributed to the fire suit. Well, who drives for Ralph Wissing? Gary Kelly. So now Ralph or someone on Ralph's behalf goes out to Michigan to pick up the motor out of the 35 car and comes back with the entire car. So now Ralph Wissig's got two cars, the four car, and he's got now the 35 car. Now the 35 car by now had been around for you know, five, six, seven years. And of course we had a bunch of radical offsets and even the four car at the time was a show car, I believe. And I think it was a radical offset, the 18 inch offset. So we've got this 35 car as well. So Bobby Stelder gets in the car um, for classic. But prior to that, that car, that 35 car won its final race. At Oswego. Got its final win, is maybe a better way to put it, at Oswego. Gary Kelly was driving it. Won the Concy. One night, beat out Mike Reuter in a show car. And I, I don't mean that to disparage Mike at all. I mean that 
to talk about what a great drive that was for Gary Kelly to, to hold off Reuter, who was, I think, second year, maybe. Um, second year racer. Uh, and Gary just, he was able to hold him off and ended up winning the race. That was the last win the 35 got. And then Bobby Stelder tried to qualify for the Classic, and I'll never forget, Bobby back to spinning the tires like he used to do in the 36 all those years before. But the uh, car just wasn't fast enough. And I don't think it ever, I don't think it ever uh, saw action again after that. And I'm not sure what happened to it. I don't know if it's, I think the older of the two cars. Now, I might be wrong. There's one of the 35s that's been restored. And I, it may have been, maybe it is this one. But I, um, I seem to think it was the older of the two cars. But I'm not sure. Because I think the one that Skip Manning drove and the one Johnny Logan started with is a different car than the red one that Johnny finished with and that Gary Kelly ended up winning the Concy in that night and Bobby Stelder missed the Classic with. So that was uh, the Keenan Addy run at Oswego was somewhere 8 to 10 years-ish. 7, 8, 10, somewhere in there. Um... And now from there is where uh, the the 35, this is where I'm, I feel like I'm going to miss here on this. But um, somewhere later, because I don't remember another 35 until Mike Muldoon had a 35. Now, he had Mike, again, Mike had more numbers and more drivers than you can keep track of. It, we, we could do an entire show where we just try to recount all the, the car numbers and drivers that Mike had. Mike started as the eighty. Well, technically, he started as the O2 because the first night he drove at Oswego was with Eddie Bellinger. He bought Bellinger's car, and it ran as the O2. Um, but he started as the 80, and then there was an 08 that Jim Muldoon drove, and I think Mike drove that a couple times. Then he had, when he when, when he kind of, started off on his solo career when, when Jim stopped racing. He had the 80. He had a 50. And I think the next car number he had was 35. Now, I don't know why 35. I don't know if it was just the first number up or whatever, but um, he had a 35. Davey Hamilton drove it. And I don't remember who else. I'm sure he drove it a little bit. But Davey, I remember, I'm pretty sure I remember Davey. And, 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 and at some point, that car, I think, got sold to Jeff Holbrook, I think. I think Holbrook had a couple of Muldoon's cars. But... That 35 car is the next 35 I remember. And, and I, um, I'm thinking somewhere in there there was a 35 out of New England too. But I, I don't, I can't quite put my finger on 
who it would have been. But something is telling me that somewhere in there there was a 35 that was out of New England. That that was a and maybe it was just like a one off or a couple, you know, classic or whatever, but something tells me I'm missing one out of New England. But but I, I know that Muldoon had one. And then of course Muldoon also had the twenty. Um I think at one time he had an eighty, a forty, and a twenty or a fifty and a forty and a twenty or something. I um I just I can't keep track. And of course then Michael came along and had fifty and now he's fifteen. So um, lots of numbers there. And of course Jimmy had his own bunch of but he was just driving different cars. He didn't own them all. Um Jimmy Muldoon drove for a number of different car owners. So again, it would be that would that would be a fun show just to talk about all the all the numbers that uh, the Muldoon family ran and all the different cars they had. But uh, but there was a thirty five I know in that mix somewhere, and I don't remember all the drivers, everybody that drove because again, Mike had a bunch of drivers. He, uh, um, gosh, I mean, Bentley drove for him a couple times. Joe Gozik won some classics for him. Um, Davey Hamilton drove for him. Dennis Wilson out of the I and I. For the life of me, I never figured that out. Dennis Wilson from the limited super division drove for him. I guess Dennis just bought, you know, probably paid for it and decided he wanted to drive it. He was in the 20, I think, for a while. Um, Jamie Moore drove for him. Steve Joya drove for him. Um, I think Pat Abel might have driven for him a bit. I'm not sure. I seem to remember Pat maybe driving some for Mike. Um uh, Bobby Santos almost won a classic for Mike, um, or was that Holbrook's car by then? I can't. I just can't remember. Um, but there were a number. I know I've missed a few, but we, I feel like we'd be here all day. I think Vern Lefave, and then finally, I think Vern bought the car. Maybe it was was it Vern? Was it Vern? I think it was Vern. At one point. Um, but Mike had a bunch of drivers besides himself was, was the point of that. And I don't remember who was in the 35 because, again, there was a lot of, you know, because like Davey Hamilton, I think, ran the 50 at one point maybe in the 35 and a different, you know, so th there was a lot of uh, back and forth going on there. So um, somebody, if they want to, can have fun with who drove that 35 and list them out in the comments. That would be great. Um and, and and that's the last 35 that I can remember in terms of history. It's it's um it's not one of those numbers that's been used all that often. But it's fun because I I mean I when I think of 35 it's Keenan and Addy and and Johnny Logan but I I I always wished I could have met Skip Manning. Had a chance to talk to him, um, to interview him, uh, you know, and, and and seeing Gary Kelly win that Concy that night was really cool, because I recognized the accomplishment that was. You had you had one of the oldest cars probably in the field that night beat a a a driver who had who was starting to really come into his own. And Mike Ruder, I still you know I I I don't feel like Mike 
I feel like Mike always had more potential than we saw. And I always thought his son was the same. You know, sometimes you just never get in that right situation to, you know. But um, I always felt like Mike was a driver that certainly had the potential to to be a, a, a really good race car driver. And he had some good runs, the cars he drove over the years. So there you have it. We're done. What's in the number is over. Um, it, uh, it's been fun to do this. And I uh, we're way over time on this show. So um, I will say this to you. If if there is a, if, if anybody has an idea for a segment, whether it's, you know, weekly or whatever, um, let me know. DM me. Send me a message. Um, lots of ways to get a hold of me for friends on Facebook. Message me or uh, through the Inside Group Facebook page. Send me a message. And uh, if anybody's got an idea, and you know, it's it's always fun to change things up a little bit. So we're gonna we've got some uh, some West Coast Super Modified content coming up uh, in the next few weeks, and and lots of other good stuff too. So we're we're excited about what we're doing here and um, happy to be back in the groove uh, and, and to staying in the groove for the, for, for the off season and trying to bring you as much coverage as we can for as much uh, of the super modified world as will, uh, will allow themselves to spend time with us. So um, thanks to all of our sponsors. Thanks to Camden proud and, uh, to Jeff Battle, both. Uh, hope you enjoyed that again. Um, that was a, uh, it, it was a fun. That those are fun discussions when you can really try to drill down and 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 um, understand and learn and debate. And uh, you know, again, nothing is. I I wish every I wish NESS and everybody else the best. It's not a personal thing. Just trying to understand and get answers. I think the fans want to know what what's really going on. And, uh, so, you know, it's, it's fun to, to have those discussions now and then. And, and again, thanks to Jeff, very smart young man, very intelligent young man, very humble as well. So hopefully we'll get Ryan on soon. So, um, again, thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget steeringwheelnation.com brand new motorsports social hub. It is basically Facebook. So don't, be shy about um, signing up. Choose your content from the various channels that you want and set up your personalized home feed and then uh, feel free to comment, share, like, just like you would the Facebook group. That's what we've got. We want to build a community. We're going to have some fun this off season, and uh, we got content. We're trying to bring as much content from across the racing world as we can so you get it all in one place. And again, without all the, all the junk that social media presents. We are basically, now we have a little social media, but uh, not trying to be Facebook at all. Not at all. We're trying to have the same community concept, but we're not trying to be a million strong or billions or whatever. Just just trying to, to bring the, the racing community together, especially short tracks. Uh, we'll have enough of the big stuff for those who want it to make it interesting. Um, and... Uh, you know, but we're gonna we're gonna focus on some really uh, unique content and telling some great stories and giving away some prizes and some 
opportunities for VIP stuff and all that. So um, don't be don't be shy and let's have some fun here. That's what we built it for. So with that, uh, thanks again for listening. Please share, comment, um, whatever, like it up and uh, have a, um, a safe and blessed week and weekend, everybody. And we'll be back soon with episode 136 of the Inside Groove. Until then, I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.